Well, brace yourselves, guys. This is a long one. In today's episode, Delaney and I are going to wrap up our What Saved Us series, and we're going to talk about theater-type experiences. Um, I promise we're going to go off on some tangents. And this is the episode where I tell probably my most interesting story to date. Um, So stick around and listen for that because I promise you won't believe it. Uh, And just to give you a little insight into next week, we're going to be... At the very least, partnering with at least one other person, if not two or three. And if you have something that you think is going to be worth our time for next week's episode, which I'm talking to all of you because you all have stories that we want to hear. We tell you this every week. Please reach out. Next week's theme is going to be revealed at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. I'm Melissa Marsh, and this is Rough Draft. Hello. We doing it? <laughs> oh, there you are. I'm like, wait. <laughs> I was scared for a minute. Hi. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <laughs> well, it's Wednesday, not Monday. It is Wednesday. <laughs> you know. <laughs> being uh in quarantine and having things to do this week Mm -hmm. and you know my allergies got really bad on monday and i was convinced that i had coronavirus so that was a good day like you do (laughs) it's fine it's totally fine fine. totally fine yeah totally how was your week week's been good um well for the most part. I mean, work's been crazy. We're still trying to get my dad home. We're trying to figure out once this whole, once we find out what the rules are for when we can reopen about how we yeah. structure the restaurants and people getting overtime and things like that, because from what I've seen, it's going to be probably, we're going to lose like half of our tables. And half of our bar seats at both restaurants. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This whole so, thing is like chaos. Yeah. Which means we can run at like three quarter staff. It just means we're not gonna hire a lot of college kids this year. It's 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 yes. weird. It's I mean, we're still gonna retain our full time employees and maybe hire like one or two more. Yeah. But at the same time, it's one of those things where there's going to be a lot of restaurants around here that are not going to survive the summer. Yeah. Which sucks. <laughs> yeah. This whole thing is just, it's so scary. And, you know, obviously, like you're coming at it from the business perspective. And you're not mm-hmm. the only small business owner that I know. Like my sister and her husband own a small business and, you know, he works, it's completely tourism based. He works on the boardwalk and like, right. He doesn't know if he's even going to be able to work this summer at all mm-hmm. or if people are going to have money to spend. And like, I'm on the other side of that where like <laughs> I was transitioning to freelance work, but I was 
contracted and like on the payroll of a small business and now I'm laid off. And so like I filed for unemployment and everything looked like I would get it and I should get it. But there's like some hang up in a clerical error that was made, but I can't contact a human. So I have received no unemployment benefits, but I'm eligible for like 800 bucks a week. Right. With like the federal relief. So I haven't gotten a paycheck since March 15th of any kind. (laughs) I'm burning through my savings. Yeah. You know, and like the unemployment system is so inundated with people who don't, who can't work right now that I can't even get in touch with the human to like fix the problem. Right. And we've been. (laughs) <laughs> we've been I've been dealing with that to make sure I wanted to make sure all of my employees got unemployment so I've, I've mm-hmm. talked to both Maryland and Delaware because some of my employees live in Maryland so they have to fire through Maryland whereas with Delaware it's all a crazy hullabaloo and you're like oh I have 50 employees and I hope they come back <laughs> right right <laughs> and you're scared yeah <laughs> So I'm like, I want yeah. to employ these people. I want them to keep working. But yeah. if the government's like, yeah, restaurants, you can't be open. I'm like, well, I can't hire them for a job that I'm doing myself. I, right. That's why it's me and my head chef doing carry out. Because, <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's, it's, it's nuts. But, I mean, we're, we're powering through. It is what yeah. it is. This week, you know, this I, week, I'm. Go ahead. I was gonna say Sunday. Sunday is a big day for me. Yeah, yeah. For many reasons. <laughs> um, Sunday is like May is always a weird month, but like early May is always is like rough for me especially may 3rd because we're celebrating third my parents opened nantucket's may 3rd 1991 it's it'll be a 30th season that's crazy um my brother died on may 3rd um i graduated beginning of may in 09 i moved back to ocean city I moved back to Ocean City in May. I think it was May 3rd of like 2010. <laughs> yeah. And now like we're just getting word that my dad might be coming home. <laughs> Finally from all of this craziness from him being in rehab, he might be able to come home within like 2 weeks. That's so, insane. It's a very emotional (laughs) week. Yep. This weekend coming up. And hopefully we can get through it. And then hopefully beyond that, I mean, we can start prepping for how we're gonna open these restaurants. And if it's if it's May 15th, great. If it's if they extend it later. Okay, and if it gets to July 4th where they start like shutting everything down till July 4th, (laughs) I mean, it's going to be rough. (laughs) And it's just, I don't know, that's a lot. That's a lot. And I like can relate in different ways. Like October is for me that always sideways and it feels like an alternate universe. Mm -hmm. 
ironic that like when that happens it's like a magnet like you have one or two big events and then they just it's like a magnet for more big events Mm -hmm. and so now you're in like yet another year where going into may you have like you know all of this residual right weight and then Mm -hmm. who knows what's who knows what's gonna happen next like (laughs) i always look forward to october and dread it at the same time like right like yeah transformative but also like oh shit well i, I always laugh 20 is not going to disappoint right well i hate i always laugh because we <laughs> the joke about like working in the restaurant industry like for single guys is like oh who's your summertime girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> type thing and yeah i know and i'm just like well it looks like it's gonna be may and (laughs) (laughs) and like i said before i was like yeah at a time when i stopped going on dating sites and it's like oh i'm finally ready to like try to start seeing somebody which i'm not but it's like you know what you can't do go outside (laughs) And be with this bird, be with anybody. Yep, of course. Of course. I was like, oh, the universe is ironic in so many ways. So, (laughs) speaking of irony and things that could save us, also, I I wanted to mention about October. I took off, I already took off for a day in October. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I, I put it in my planner like six months ahead of time. Good. Mm-hmm. And it's it's Halloween. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's very specific. It's uh, it's Halloween. It's on a Saturday, and it's a full moon, so it means it's a blue moon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah for this year and i'm like i want no part of being in the restaurant no, at all heck no that entire fucking heck day no not at all <laughs> not at all and if i worked in that if i worked in a restaurant if i worked in a hospital i would no 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 yes i'd, I'd say fuck all y'all <laughs> i'm out <laughs> i'm trying to go to like the cabin and the woods goodbye Right. I'm gonna go camp in my car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just oh, I don't know. I don't trust it. Yeah. Speaking of things we don't trust, um, we're going to go part three in our things that have saved us. And it is yeah. time. It's time. And this one is something I have a love-hate relationship with. <laughs> I I don't mm-hmm. doubt that at all. For um, many reasons. <laughs> um, yeah. So, how did you structure yours? Like, I did top a top five? five, like for themes. So, but like we can, okay. when I get to each one, I can run through those real fast. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I kind of did like five different. I just numbered one through five, but like the first four on my list are all the same source, but different Mm -hmm. things. So like 
once we get into it, that'll make more sense. And then my fifth one is like a different experience yeah. altogether. But and then at the end, I can I can go through all of this and justify like this. These are my experiences, and I had a great time doing them. <laughs> and then I will tell why I hate this, <laughs> why I hate it now. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Perfect. Did you make tea today? I did. Um, Earl Grey. What did you make? What are you drinking? Because I can't find Lady Grey. <laughs> she she is superior, superior, but Twining's Lady Grey only comes in like the variety packs, which drives me crazy. Listen, I'm gonna need you to um, throw some mm-hmm. heritage weight behind just, that. And just call them up. How you can <laughs> So most of the time you're drinking tea mm-hmm. and I'm drinking coffee, but I'm sitting outside and I have not made, I haven't made any cold brew right. actually at all lately. And I, it's too hot for me to drink hot coffee, but I did just get a really cool order of coffee um, from the uh, coffee company. I totally got suckered yeah, by you did. an ad on Instagram <laughs> and I ordered a like variety pack and i picked five flavors and i don't typically go for flavored coffee but i'm gonna tell you right now they should sponsor me for this Mm -hmm. plug it is so good i hate flavored coffee and it is so freaking good so i'm gonna make that later but (laughs) non-spawn i'm drinking (laughs) i know i'm drinking seltzer water with bitters like angostura bitters so i'm using right now um okay yeah so I've been doing all kinds of research about all kinds of flavors of bitters, <laughs> and I started my own bitters last week. That should be oh, right oh what are you too. like hiding them I in? <laughs> you just, like what? I mean, it's kind of like kimchi. You just kind of put some roots in a jar, you bury it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Then and then you're like eight <laughs> exactly. days. Eight days later, it's like bitters. <laughs> Yes, so I am. I'm doing this particular batch in gin because that's all I had. But I'm gonna get grain alcohol because I want some that are like more mm-hmm. nuanced, probably. But I did like rose petal, and lemon rind, and what else did mm-hmm. I put in it? Oh, pink pepper. Oh, so you <laughs> and it smells amazing. Oh yeah, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to use it. But I was reading about like the digestive properties of bitters, like beyond just like flavoring alcohol drinks i was like i didn't know that people use this for this and why am i so i sent a message to angela i said have we been sleeping on bitters this whole time like what well there's a doing? whole category of liqueur called amaros and they're basically bitters like digestives mm-hmm. and aperitifs and nice I yeah you would know so once <laughs> when we start getting into like magical properties of booze which will probably be a much later <laughs> podcast. I mean, I don't know how much later. I'm thinking in like a couple of weeks because I am bored. <laughs> like, so I'm starting to get really into my like kitchen witchery. And like, so I ordered <laughs> lavender petals. Witchy kitchy. And I, I, have, I have so much stuff in my house. I'm like, I'm going to make my go. own bitters and I'm going to make whatever I want. So, you know, but I like... Yeah, mm-hmm. total kitchen. One of my bartender friends, she makes her own um, bitters and tonics, which is like, yeah, nice. it's really cool. And then I like, I do all my own syrups and shrubs and tinctures. 
and we kind of exchange ideas and recipes for cocktails and things like that. Uh huh. All right. Okay. All right. So, so let's hit it. I so the, the start this time. Sure. So I wanted to start because we're talking about theater. You start with the word. <laughs> and what I because you're a writer, that's why I want that's why I wanted to start with. Because if you're not doing anything, if you don't know what the script is, you're just a mime or you're doing improv. Yep. <laughs> So I just thought about like five plays that really justify why I love theater. And they are uh, going back to 12th grade English class because we're talking about British literature. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of going like I talked about last time, the reason why I didn't take AP English as opposed to what 12th, 12th grade English was was because I didn't want to read the Canterbury Tales, and we were talking about Shakespeare. We were talking about all the tragedies. Yep. So we did Hamlet, and then we did Macbeth. Yep. So Macbeth is my number one. <laughs> and Macbeth then, is a big one. Like the don't say the yeah. play in the theater one. Right. There's so <laughs> much. Um, yeah. You always call out the Scottish play <laughs> when you're in the theater. <laughs> Unless you're doing a production of it. I mean, there's certain ways around. It's a very, like, loose curse definition right. <laughs> type thing. But there's always a, there's always a thing where, um, like, people have died or, like, like, lights have been smashed for no reason or, like, stuff falls over onto an actor or something. Right. There's always, like, this curse of, around it. And I think it's so wonderful. And the play, the play is just beautiful. Um, so number two, because I love theater of the absurd, the next three are like, so Waiting for Godot. Nice. By Beckett. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? So a more modern nice. um, absurdist, uh, Edward Albee. And then one that recently won a Pulitzer and was also turned into a movie, um, August Osage County. By Tracy Letts. Oh, yes. That, yeah. <laughs> and then I wanted to also throw in Glass Menagerie by Tennessee Williams because Tennessee Williams, he puts across such like male angst that's been beaten down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by like motherly figures in in his lifetime and i'm like i can relate to this <laughs> <laughs> oh man but but glass menagerie is a huge like influence it's a very solid so list. i just want to yeah i want to put those out there so what is yours so my number one is like an experience my first like introduction mm-hmm. to any kind of theater beyond like going to see a play was okay that was that was gonna be my number two yep so like (laughs) perfect that happened um when i was transitioning into like that phase of my life that i was like hyper religious we had like a ministry Mm -hmm. team that was like theater based so um 
the guy who was in charge of that, like our director was a theater teacher at the school where he taught and like had a theater background. So it was this particular element of it is just about like being exposed to stage and like conquering stage fright and stuff. Like I know that I said before, a lot of people have a hard time believing this about me now. If they meet me now that I used to be like cripplingly shy, like Mm -hmm. hated to speak out loud, didn't like to talk in class, didn't want like just so shy and anxious. And I don't know what the hell I was thinking because I still didn't know most of these people. So I started going to youth group and then I started going to this church on Sundays and like, that was my extracurricular like thing that I did besides work because I did also work a job, but I was still, mm-hmm. I was so shy. I had just met most of these people. Some of them I didn't know at all. And they were like, yeah, we're having tryouts for our like traveling ministry drama team on Wednesday. Yeah, And I was like, I'm going to go by myself. And that's one of those moments for me that I have to definitely say like the influence came from outside of me somehow because I never would have chosen to do that by myself. Like I have, Mm -hmm. I had way too much social anxiety at the time and way too much, like just, I was too shy. And so I went and it like the auditions were improv, like straight improv. Yeah. And it was so fun and also like so liberating. And it was like a, a light switch had been flipped for me and I realized like oh this is a place where I can like step outside of that anxiety and step outside of that shyness and into like Mm -hmm. I don't know some of the free racing thoughts that I have like it was really really cool to see some of my like racing thoughts turn into something productive instead of something that was like holding me back so right. just that first like because we didn't perform anything after I like made the team we didn't perform anything I don't think for three months we had like an entire mm. summer to kind of like get to know each other and to like work on technique and to work on like our plan for the season because we were competitive also and mm-hmm. so just kind of like learning stage stuff was right. my first real experience and I fell in love like completely fell in love and I don't know if I would have felt the same in a different environment but I was also building relationships with these people that because I was you know 14 and in this like transformative period of my life were super important at the time right that's that's my number one okay so I'm gonna piggyback off that because I put this whole thing together and it's called jumping into the deep end (laughs) and yeah so like high school senior year i never really thought about doing theater but all my friends were in theater so Mm -hmm. i was like i'm gonna hang out with my friends and they're like it's a year-long thing i'm like well i have nothing else to do senior year i've got all my ap classes so Mm -hmm. i'll take it and um yeah i was in every play (laughs) senior year um and then I went to, once I graduated, I had already committed to University of Richmond. I was going to be a chemical engineering major. But that was super scary. And it was my first college experience. And first semester, I was like, whoo, this is not cool. <laughs> like, I had like a C average. <laughs> yeah. And then um, second semester... 
I took an acting class and because the chemical building chemistry building was being closed for renovations for a year. So I couldn't take any chemical engineering classes or science classes. <laughs> Again, I have to point to some sort of outside influence on this. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> and, um, uh, he, like I always had bit parts. I would never lead. And I tried out for certain things and I started to learn the hierarchy of theater. <laughs> like I found out that, uh, at university of Richmond, if you're a freshman, you can't act as a main on a main stage play, huh. which I was like, Oh, cool. And then I tried out. They're like, yeah, if you, if you weren't a freshman, you would be the lead. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> So I don't have a lot of that, the hierarchy experience, which I'm thankful for, because I think that those are the things that really start to color, like, where you talk about love, hate, and, like, the politics, and I'm I'm aware that that exists big time, and I avoided (laughs) it, and I, even, like, in more recent, like, exposure to, like, community players and stuff like that, it's obvious that that's a thing. Oh, 100%. (laughs) And I... When I get into later stories, I will I will expand. But yeah. um, so I had that, and then he, my acting teacher, he told me to read Lost in Yonkers, which is a um, it's a play by Neil Simon, mm-hmm. and he's like, you should learn this, and then um. <laughs> Needless to say, my first year at Richmond, I was not happy. Um, I basically barely passed all of my second semester classes, too. I was miserable. I moved back here, went to Warwick, just got some credits and for a year and a half. And then I went to Mary Washington, mm-hmm. which I went in as a business major because <laughs> I was like, they don't have a chemical engineering department. <laughs> so <clears throat> I did business. And my, <laughs> this is one, another one of those moments where it's definitely like outside influence yep. because I went to my first accounting class. It was one night a week. It was three hours. And it started at six o'clock at night till nine o'clock. And I said, there's no fucking, like 45 minutes in the class, the teacher was talking and it was like the driest most monotone man I've ever heard in my life and 45 minutes in the class. I'm like, Nope, I'm out. (laughs) And I immediately went to my dorm room, changed all four of my, all five of my classes. Jesus. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do theater. And they had a festival going on. It was called 365. And it was like 365 plays in 365 days. Like this one author just wrote this this book of plays. And they're like little one-act plays that you can perform in about 10 minutes. <laughs> and I love it. They're like, have you ever done design before? I was like, no. They're like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, you have 
you have three plays and you have to design them around campus to be acted out. I'm like, what? (laughs) And they're like, um, and it's done in a week. I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Right. So like, yeah, right into the deep end. And that was fun. Um, that also led into like my first board operating job because I had no idea about design or anything. So, um, soundboard, lightboard, I learned everything that first semester I was at Mary Washington. As I learned as much as possible as fast as I could when I come to design and back of the house and things like that. And I got my first, like first job was a musical. Um, nice. And because because you need a practicum credit, so they're like, you gotta do something on stage. I'm like, all right. And they made me this thing. So there's a play called Bat Boy the Musical, <laughs> <laughs> and it's based on the National Enquirer photograph. It's a bad play. <laughs> it's it's a bad musical, but it's so fun and ridiculous. I was what was called the Blood Wrangler. So basically I would make the props that had blood for the bat, the, the bat boy, or like I would have a rabbit and I'd have to make like squeeze bottle of blood. And then he would like rip the rabbit's head off (laughs) and then like, but you just, you just like, sew the rabbit's head on and then he like squirts the bottle like "Ah," into his mouth. It It was great. Well, at one point there was, um, there's a part in a show because you have to handle weapons. You have to follow theater protocol of weapons. And one of them was a shotgun. And this is my first foray into weapons handling. And my ASM, who was uh, my still friend, Donna, (laughs) she's still a friend to this day. She, she was like, what do you know about weapons handling? Oh, (laughs) and I'm in back, like trying to do this. She's like, I'm like, I don't know anything she's like good you're gonna learn now i'm like okay (laughs) and and then she like explained all the like the gun handling of how i like here you are thank you and like looking the person in the eye transferring the weapon all this stuff it was crazy it was it was one of those things where i'm like this is absurd and this is my first semester here and I'm three weeks in. <laughs> or no, I was, this was like week six of my first semester at Mary Washington. I was like, good Lord, this is crazy. <laughs> and and then um, the other jumping to the deep end is after I graduated my apprenticeship, which those who think theater is you'll never get a job in theater. I say, fuck you, sir, because <laughs> I graduated. I graduated in May, and then I had an apprenticeship and a job in July. Correct. <laughs> so there are definitely but, jobs to be had. That's the kind of thing, though, where you have to be flexible because there's a lot of relocating and traveling and things like that. But uh, right, there are jobs. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. And um, it was at Studio Theater, which was probably the worst six months of my life. But. Um, I learned I was the lighting apprentice, Uh but I also wanted to do acting and uh, musical stuff. But they specifically made me the lighting apprentice or electrical because I did sound too. But um, so the first week, they're like, 
Yeah, you have every apprentice, and there was nine of us, and they put us in a in a townhouse in Dupont Circle with six bedroom, six apartments. I'm like, oh, oh boy, okay, <laughs> yeah. It, it, and they justified not paying us by by quote unquote paying for our rent, uh-huh. and then they would pay us a hundred and fifty dollars stipend every week. Oh, good. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of DC, where the closest um, grocery store is a Whole Foods. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, that's still a struggle. When Tyler is not here working from home, he lives in DC, and mm-hmm. he like where he lives, like that's it. The closest grocery store is a Whole Foods. First of all, it's not that close. Right. Second, it's very expensive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It was a four block walk because yep. you couldn't have a car. Yep. And you're just like, I'm like, uh, well, F this. <laughs> yep. Groceries are coming home with you um, in a backpack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. So first, first week, they're like, yeah, this is a year-long apprenticeship, which I quit after six months because it was fucking bullshit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they told us, they're like, yeah, you have a year-long um, just job to do. And this, it's it's like a year-long project that you have to set up the, like, maintenance of or figure out, like, some organization thing or whatever. Anyway, mine was because they're trying to get environmental, but this is the time that everyone was converting to CFL light bulbs. So I had to change all of the light bulbs in a theater oh. from fluoret or um, like incandescent to um, CFLs. Oh, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's because they wanted to save money and pretend like they were <laughs> caring about the environment. <laughs> I know. Yeah, let's give the kid who you're not paying um, a bunch of light bulbs with mercury in them. I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> yep it's perfect it, it's glorified slave labor yep. and I it's it's another one of those things where they're like I was like so what about getting a job after the apprenticeship they're like oh we don't guarantee jobs after the apprenticeship I was like interesting uh-huh. cool and that's what <laughs> means. glorified yeah. slave labor like yeah. We are not going to pay you. We're not going to take care of you. We're going to use every ounce of blood and sweat in your body. And then we may or may not keep you, but we probably won't keep you. Right. Anyway, so that's my number two about jumping into the deep end you- <laughs> and just going for yeah, it that's what and, and learning everything. Work. Like you just went for it. Mm-hmm. And that's like super, I don't know. It. I think that it affects like how much we take away from something Mm -hmm. at least it did for me like being able to jump right into it definitely like allowed me to take more away Mm -hmm. my dog is going ballistic i hear that i gotta i should probably investigate that okay i think probably you can see a cat yeah a cat so i have two cats in this idiot dog of mine and you know German <laughs> are so smart and so trainable and he's like pretty smart and pretty trained but um he's an idiot 
So I also right. have two cats, and they don't <laughs> care for him very much, so they stay out of his way. But, like, if I'm doing anything where he's not going to be supervised for more than, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes, I put him in the crate. Right. Because he still has like, – he's, he's not even two yet, so he still, like, will get into something. He'll eat something poisonous. Like, he's just – he's dumb. So the cat <laughs> in the crate will come out into the rest of the house because they stay in the back part of the house. We have a gate in the middle, so he can't go into the bathroom and eat the cat food or go into the bedroom because he'll eat Bella's stuffed animals. So they'll come out, but if he sees them, he goes nuts. Like, not like, oh, I want to play with you and not like, oh, I want to eat you, but like, who are you, stranger? There's a foreign object in my home and I have to alert to it and I have to alert to my owners. Please come. (laughs) There's an emergency. But when he's out and they're out, they sit on the other side of the gate from each other and like bump heads and like he knows who they are. But he's the same mm-hmm. way with birds in the yard. A bird comes in the yard and he's like, uh, there's an intruder. <laughs> he just can't, he help, just can't help, help himself. Help. Like, he <laughs> so much. But anyway. Well, okay. So my number two is still sticking with like my experience on my traveling drama team, but kind of focusing more mm-hmm. on like the travel part of it. And even not so much the actual ministry, even though that did matter to me a lot at the time. But, like, the organizing travel and the making plans, like, that's where I really started to notice that that isn't just something that I enjoy, but it's definitely, like, part of my makeup. Like, the need to, like, wander and do things and adventure and travel and meet new people and learn new things and share things that I know. And so I, like, at the risk of sounding really cliche, feel like that experience gave me, like, the first taste of having, like passion and purpose and I feel like those words are used Mm -hmm. a lot in terms of like religiosity because that's the goal is to like incentivize all of these members of a congregation to feel like they have a passion and a purpose so they go out and like minister to the community and bring more members and the church makes more money and you know I guess the saving of souls is a motivation to some people and whatever but it wasn't (laughs) as much about like and this sounds shitty like retrospectively but that was important to me at the time but even even then the biggest part wasn't about like bringing salvation to people who were lost it was more about right connecting with people who had trauma or who had like a history that they found made them displaced somehow or they felt displaced which i think is common like among high schoolers no matter what your background is because that's just part of like transitioning from being a kid to being a young adult is feeling like that displacement of childhood and like transitioning into accepting responsibilities and like navigating what a life looks like separate from being completely parented Mm -hmm. and so that first taste of like being able to give someone some sort of insight or resource or tool or support or comfort or even just camaraderie to say like hey you're going through this thing but I'm also going through this thing and that's okay because it's normal and like I didn't I wouldn't have had the words for it at the time to say like I was really passionate about like normalizing life experiences and like even what is the force behind this podcast for me is like sharing stories as a way of like connecting with other people and keeping a history and like looking at where you come from but also being able to navigate like what you want your life to look like I wouldn't have said that then but like when I looked back on it like getting ready for this episode it was really funny to me to see that like 
normalizing trauma and like normalizing anxiety and like helping other people transition through the things that were a struggle that are a struggle for everyone you know the same way that music does that and the same way that literature does Mm -hmm. that and I was using those things to like help me I was being given the opportunity to like give that to other people and that was pretty major and I feel like that was pivotal for me like when I did you know decide to go to college my I was a psychology major for that same reason because like I use so many of these small tools to figure out how to understand myself and then how to communicate it because I'm a writer right that I wanted to be able to like bridge that gap for other Mm -hmm. people and say okay you might not have the tools but I can't fix this for you but I can give you the tools so that you can fix it and so being able to do that and travel at the same time was probably like where my life dream started to be like, oh, yeah, I want to like put all my shit in a backpack and go in my car and drive around for six hours and then be in a new place and do a new thing and connect with people and then leave. <laughs> that's like everything I want to do mm-hmm. all the time. So that's my number. Okay. Three. So my number three is design. And yes, the word is important, but how do you portray the word in an element that's not nonverbal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wrote down some things of like, I did a lot of like cross contamination when it comes to certain designs, i.e. I both designed something and I acted in them. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, one of them was, uh, I fucking hate this play, but it's Our Town. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I did the sound design for it, and it was, like, a main stage production. And God, that Thornton Wilder, it's like, oh, it's so important to, like, literature. And I'm just like, yeah, but it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It's about a goddamn town in Maine where nothing happens except a girl dies. <laughs> like that's it. <laughs> and I I did a bunch of the sound design for it, but like that's one of those things where there's no set. So the whole problem with that play is you have to like imagine the sound design through through what these people are doing. And, uh, like, it has to be certain actions. Like, it looks like someone's bringing a cow to pasture, so you have to have a cowbell (laughs) and, like, a cow mooing layered on top of that. But that's such so hard. It's like, how big is the cow? How, (laughs) like, and you have to, you you can deepen it or you can lighten up the tone of certain things. It's crazy. Um, One of my first design classes was set design and my uh, teacher made us do Picasso at the La Pena Gilles, which is Steve Martin's play. And it's a uh-huh. imaginary conversation between um, Picasso and Einstein at this French cafe. And it's, yeah, it's awesome. And then for some reason, Van Gogh and Elvis show up <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very philosophical, but also basically you're designing a bar, (laughs) which I had some, I don't know, (laughs) some expertise in. (laughs) 
Yeah, maybe just a little. Yeah. Um, we also did these things called 24 hour play festivals. So the play is written at seven o'clock at night, and then the next day it's performed and designed and lit and sound. <laughs> so like everything. <laughs> it it is it is anarchy and you're running on one hour of sleep and it's just it's just nuts. Like you can't leave the theater. <laughs> I love it's it. great. It's we. I did it three years in a row. It's insane. It's fun and it's insane. And you're just like, why? <laughs> why though? <laughs> um. I also one of my favorites, uh, Santa Land Diaries, which is a play based on the David Sedaris book. I love it. Yeah, and it's just it's one actor on stage, basically acting out all of the book and but my job was to both light and sound it do all the sound design of mall entrances or like christmas music or certain things that kind of help the theme and it's just it was just a wonderful play and then so the pinnacle of my lighting design career was like my final senior project when we were getting our senior projects and we're like okay these are the four plays because for your senior project, you have to be involved with one of the main stage productions and do it in some wow. way. And mine was a musical because why the fuck not? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a musical called Elegies, which it's super depressing. <laughs> and it's Basically, 17 songs about death. <laughs> I was going to say, as a writer who um, specializes in poetry yeah. and writes a lot of elegies, yeah, <laughs> that sounds fucking terrible. And great, but terrible. Yes. So, <laughs> as a lighting designer, one of your big things is having enough circuits for certain, for certain shots and things like that. And you're like, Okay, well, I need to like this part of the stage, but also this actor and things like that. So this was given to us our junior year. Like when we, before we went off, we learned about the next season and we called projects. Uh I was like, all right, I'll take elegies. And they're like, all right, it's the first one of the season. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. So I take the music home. I learn about all the, like I try to cue it out and like get some ideas of how I want to do everything first before I go in because I don't have, I don't have any concept of what the set's going to be because the set is done by a professor. So yeah, as soon as I see what the set is, I almost break down in tears because it is a blank stage that is kind of elevated. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and with someone with very few lighting circuits, I was just like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I have to light an entire stage with very few <laughs> lighting uh, instruments. And at the same time, have to get coverage on like five actors on stage and also have side lighting and different mood sets. And I'm just like, like in my head, I'm 
as soon as soon as I just want to take all of my notes and just like throw them into a bonfire. I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> Damn it. Oh man. Yeah. It's it's the um the dog on I was playing in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> this uh-huh. is fine. This is uh-huh. fine. <laughs> so yeah, yep. I mean and that's the thing about design is you can't just commit to something. You have to the very last moment because design is just a one part of the play. It's not just yep. yeah. So that's my three. Perfect. Um, my three is dealing with like the people part mm-hmm. of theater. So we were a competitive traveling team, which means like it was the same group of us for essentially four years. Yeah. We had some transition. We had a couple of people, leave, but for the most part, like we were all a traveling team year round for four years and a lot happens like if you've ever been part of a single play you know Mm -hmm. like a lot of bonding happens just in one show but then when you're writing you're acting you're doing trust exercises which are like foundational to a lot of like theater basics you have to have like some ability to trust the people on stage with you you have to understand each other have some sort of chemistry um So you're building relationships with people. And that was really interesting for me because I would say that during that four-year period, all of my very best friends, with the exception of Angela, were people that I had met and, like, traveled with on this team. Right. And it's funny, you know, you have to also remember we're in high school. Mm -hmm. And high schoolers are not known for being particularly emotionally mature yet or um, <laughs> nope. always very honorable or faithful. You know, most of the time you don't really know a whole hell of a lot about the world itself or like how to act or how to be right. in a good, healthy relationship. There's a lot of learning that happens in that 14 to 18 year old body and brain. Mm-hmm. Plus your hormonal, plus your you <laughs> yep. know, whatever else you're bringing to the table. You have everybody has a history, right. um, you know. So I got really, really close with a couple of people, and a lot of things happened during this four-year period for me that like really gave me insight into people that I, I don't want to say I wouldn't have gotten elsewhere. I mean, I also worked in restaurants starting at 14 Mm -hmm. so like these (laughs) lessons come basically no matter where you're getting you know but like the restaurant industry is not that different than the theater right it's a family it's just not (laughs) it's a family and it's dysfunctional as fuck usually so like i started being hyper aware of my at first it was just a matter of like, I was making friends. We were honest. We trusted each other. Like I am an honest person and (laughs) I am a trustworthy person. And so like, I was still really uh, naive to the fact that even at like 14, 15, 16 years old, people can be vindictive and nasty just for their own self. Oh, I learned that real quick at Mary Walsh. (laughs) You know? And like, so I had some, I had, And then this was also where I started learning something that still took me until I was probably 
uh, I don't know, 32 to fully like accept that like as a woman who inhabits a body, my body will always be in some way objectified by someone. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes that someone is also me. Like I'm not going to deny that. I'm not, you know, and there are, it's very, very common to learn this through internet exposure now but don't forget we didn't have that then so like the things that you read about the way that like a guy will come on to a girl and she'll say no thank you or i'm taken or i'm not interested and then he turns into like well you're a whore right (laughs) so the way that i came to understand that kind of mentality was like after three years of being on this team with people who i loved very deeply loved um there was a guy who like I guess had taken an interest in me but had never expressed it to me and he like kind of propositioned me or I don't know I didn't pick up on his cues and to me it was like really subtle but then something I had done he took as a major rejection and he got angry with me and he went behind my back and started spreading rumors about Mm. me that were like devastating to me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. When I found out, I went to, like, one of my mentors, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I feel like he made me look like an idiot. I feel like he said things to you. Like, my director, I was like, I feel like he said things to you that weren't true. And now, you know, I feel like my reputation is on the line. And he was like, well, people know you, and they know better than that. But, like, also take it to him. Right. Like, take him to task for it. And that idea, I was baffled. Right baffled i was like oh i can hold somebody accountable for like saying something about me that's not true Mm -hmm. and then there were other circumstances where like you know i had a girl who i thought was a very good friend to me like send topless nudes to a guy who i had had feelings for since i was in like first grade from my house when i was sleeping when she was like staying over Mm. my house and i was like this is a family yeah (laughs) you know these kinds of exposures i think happen anywhere in like when you're in high school it doesn't it's not exclusive to theater but for me like these weren't just people that I went to school with these were people that like I slept beside on trips three four five six times a year that I was like up until midnight rehearsing with and I was like crying with about my family like whatever you know and so it really that was the place that I really started to like be less naive about the way that people operate especially when like hormones are involved Mm -hmm. or like pride is involved i learned a hell of a lot about like what someone (laughs) else's wounded ego can do to 100 (laughs) percent and that was something that was like it was startling to me and so like i said i would have learned it probably anywhere but you know it was among like a pretty small intimate group of people and i think that I don't I don't know that I would have wanted it to be with anyone else like I don't think that I would have wanted to learn that in a huge environment like our entire high school you know you're talking issues of like intimacy like romance sexuality and then for me there's like this religious aspect of it too where I'm like well I'm not supposed to feel that right. way well like then if somebody's flirting with me I'm totally disregarding it because they can't be flirting with me they're 10 years older than me that doesn't oh happen. but they probably are <laughs> oh but they probably were <laughs> You know, and things like that just happened. And so not only did I learn things then, but then later as I got older and started to like learn more stuff and I continued to like be reflective, be internalizing, grow and like reach Mm -hmm. for, you know, information that helped me become who I am, which is I feel like pretty self-aware. 
I would spend time reflecting on those experiences and go, oh, right. oh, oh, <laughs> you know, but the tools that I have now to like navigate that kind of stuff definitely mm-hmm. started there. And, you know, that like idea of like that intimacy that you don't really get. It's like a family, but it's not. But it's like a relationship. But it's not. But it's not. <laughs> and then. Right. And then when that transitions into like, you know, we all started to graduate and go our separate ways and the team kind of broke up and I took over directing the team for a year before I left like the whole, the church and everything. And there's a definite like grief process that Mm. happens there too. That is different than just graduating high school because that's a big one, but there's like something exciting on the horizon. You're going to college or like whatever. This was just like uh, we outgrew our time together and everyone just left Mm -hmm. and scattered. And then most of us also left the church around the same time. So there was like an added element of grief to that. But like, you know, that was definitely a a learning experience that has continued to affect like the things that I know now. What looks something on the outside, I think, looks really small. I think when you say, oh, yeah, like I was a theater kid. Oh, yeah, I did this theater thing. People are like, oh, that's cool. It's like going to summer camp. I think you probably get some of the same lessons at summer camp, (laughs) you know, but it's definitely formative. It's It's very formative. formative. Um, We're almost at an hour. Do you want to? I was just going to say that. Let's do do the the thing. thing. We'll take a break. So we're going to take we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. We're back. Ta-da. We will yet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of going off your point, your number three, um, I wanted to talk about acting <laughs> and yep. how acting finally gave me the confidence to, because I always thought I would just be like a bit player. Because I, I love eccentric like bit parts because they're always fun. Like I was yeah. in um, Adult Evening of Shell Silverstein and I played a bunch of bit parts. I was in She Stoops to Conquer and I was like a servant, which I always thought was funny. Um, uh, spinning into butter, I was like a, a dean. But um, one of my like very premier plays, it I didn't even act in it and part of what we did for like our level two acting class was basically you get one play a semester and you do the whole play by yourself. But like you had to have acting partners in like certain scenes and then like you would break down the scene for each one. And the play that I like fell in love with about how this could be a formative moment for me about how I could be a lead, how this has so much depth of character was a play called orange flower water. Yes. By by Craig Wright. Yes. And that play really showed me like, Oh, I, if I could, if I tried out for the lead, I think I could get it type thing. Like I, it gave me confidence to like focus on what I could do in the future. Uh-huh. And it gave me a wonderful like perspective into relationships and um, working with children <laughs> and uh, the best at <laughs> uh, and, and working with 
conflict, but also in relationships, like at one point you deal with your wife in the play. And then at another point you deal with your mistress who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And it's about divorce and an affair. And it's, it's crazy. The play is crazy and it's, it's beautiful. And it's all set around one. It's all set around one point and it's the bed and that's it. And it's a very, one of those things that like, it really brought out what I thought I could do as an actor. And it's, I look back on that time in that class. I'm like, that was, that was essential. It's an essential growth for me and what I think I could do. And I, I would never take, want that time back. It was a great, like experience but for me i'm like i would i'm never gonna act again (laughs) and that we will talk about in in the next part so uh actually beyond that but uh what's your number four okay so my number four is um my last like piece of my traveling team and that's Mm -hmm. like the eventness of it right so i couldn't tell you when I first became interested in like narrative or like storytelling or being told stories but like for as long as I remember like I was never a music to put me to sleep or silence to put me to sleep it was like always an audiobook even like Mm -hmm. when I was in elementary school my mom would like get me tapes from the library or she bought me a few and I would just listen to the same ones over and over because the idea of storytelling and the process of it is has always been like the number one for me. Right. And one of the things, like, even though I write solely poetry and fiction and I read mostly fiction, um, true stories are much more compelling for me. Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's not always okay I want I don't want to be like politically correct here but I don't want to insult anyone who writes nonfiction because I also write nonfiction but most of what was like commercially published especially by like what I was what I had access to of like nonfiction was like memoir and traditional memoir is a lot it's it's super emotional usually and it's very like this is just an account of my life and while there's definitely like merit to that Mm -hmm. I was not particularly moved at the time right so um i really look for when it comes to like true stories something that has like weight behind it and a lot of that for me comes from like that's fucking unbelievable Mm -hmm. like good bad or ugly i like the story that i'm like that's that's bizarre because i feel like everybody has stories that you would preface with if you were going to tell it to someone you wouldn't believe me like if you didn't know me you would wonder if this was true like (laughs) right (laughs) but the fact that everybody has those stories to me means we it's not that unbelievable it's just that like for some reason we don't share those things as much as like much more trite not important things Mm -hmm. so i really cling to like and I do have a lot of stories that are like unbelievable. 
because yeah uh well at least 50 percent of that is my own fault slash responsibility because I definitely especially when I was younger before I had a kid and before I had like you know complete impulse control and had an understanding of you know maybe some of the risks involved I definitely put myself in situations that maybe weren't smart yeah Um, (laughs) like you do so, I mean, I am not going to say, okay, when I trailer next week's, like, topic, I'm going to do an episode with my sister sometime next week, and um, when I trailer that later, you'll understand I didn't grow out of this at all, but just the idea of, like, eventness and, like, big encounters or stories or things that happen, like, I I had a lot of those things happen starting when I was like doing this traveling theater and it started to make it super important to me, like mm-hmm. not just experiencing those things, but starting to share those things. So we like traveled to Kansas city, um, Missouri, not Kansas. Right. For one of our competitions. And mm-hmm. we stayed in a hotel with like, so at the same time as this particular convention, there was like an elders of our church convention happening and they were not happening together, but they were happening in the same city. And so when we were outside, we were having like a meetup outside of the hotel because we had rehearsal that night, but everybody was also going to get dinner. And we were like, just having like basically a briefing because we had been out all day, like sightseeing. And our director was like, okay, we're going to like have this, um, we're gonna have rehearsal at seven and like between now and then like just get dinner and like get situated and you know this is what we're gonna meet this is what we're gonna do and there was this old man like I say old to me I was 16 maybe he was at least in his mid to late 50s right. if not older and his hair was completely white and he was wearing a suit and this is in the <clears> summer and it was very hot and I was like you know maybe he's just an elder there weren't that many hotels in like the general vicinity of the convention center where these events were happening so i was like maybe he's an elder of one of our churches like he was just standing there like super interested in us and one of the girls on my team was trying to get my attention from like across the group while we were getting like basically our directions and she kept like interrupting our director and he finally was like could you please stop talking like i only need five minutes of your time and so she like shut up really fast but then she came over to me and she was like listen i need to tell you about that guy who was standing right there and so like we go into the hotel we're getting in the elevator and I was like, what is wrong with you? She was super not prone to, like, being hysterical or dramatic. She was a total tomboy, like, very tough, very, like, calm. Mm-hmm. And she was panicking. And so we get in the ho- we get into the hotel. We go into the elevator. And she's like, he was talking about. And then we turn around and he's just standing there in the, in the elevator. And the doors close behind him. And I have, like, this distinct memory. Like, she grabbed my arm, like, super hard. And he just started laughing. And there were like six of us in the elevator. He's laughing and I'm like holding on, like she's holding on to my arm and I like get this cold fear inside of me. And my first reaction is like something bad is about to happen. Right. Like I've never experienced that quite like that before. Like that overall dread, like I'm in danger Mm -hmm. and he's laughing and he goes, little lambs, little lambs. We need to have a conversation about the conditions of your soul. Oh, and we're like, uh, oh. so it's like <laughs> that four makes girls. me so uncomfortable <laughs> oh it was so, and i was like he's gonna take out a gun and shoot us like we're never getting out of here i mean dread like cold dread that is like, terrifying all on my body standing up and so like we had two guys in the elevator too and they both had headphones in and one of them takes his headphones off he goes hey sir what floor do you need and he looks this guy right in the face and he goes down 
And this guy, his name's Ryan, he's like, the basement? Like, what? And he goes, if that's as low as this goes. Mm. <laughs> and so Ryan hits the basement button, and we panic because he hasn't heard what this man has said to us. But this elevator, so, like, this hotel is, like, not an old hotel, but not a great hotel. It was, like, a double tree, but, like, you know, it's not great. And the elevator, so, like, typically when you get into an elevator... It goes in like order of floors. Right. Typically. But if in this one, <laughs> if you hit the three and then the two, it would go all the way to the third floor and then back to the second floor. Like it wouldn't stop in order. So whatever button you push first, that's where you're going, baby. That's it. And this, oh, this no. man hits the basement and then he hits three, two. And I was like, we're done. We're dead. Miracle of miracles. Like we went up instead. And this man is just laughing laughing and so we get we hit the third floor first we get out all of the girls get out ryan says to us guys this isn't your floor and we were like get out (laughs) he doesn't he stays on the elevator we take off for the stairs so that we can go back downstairs to tell our director security anyone like what has happened because now we're afraid this man is gonna like hurt someone Mm -hmm. and as the doors close and we start running for the stairs you can hear him in the elevator shaft screaming just screaming at the top of his lungs God. So we run downstairs. We're hysterical. We go to the desk. Our director's like, what is wrong? What is wrong? We're like, there's a man in the elevator. He's going to kill them. Like, he threatened us. He was screaming. He said he called his little lamb, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, slow down. Like, what? And so they sent security. And so it turns out, like, while this is happening, this man gets out on the second floor. He's one of the girls from our team who had gone up in an earlier group on the elevator, starts chasing her down the hallway. She loses her shoe. It's a flip-flop. He picks it up. He takes a bite out of it. He chucks it at the hall, down the hall. She gets into a room. He just then, like, apparently composes himself, knocks on the door of another girl on our team, introduces himself to her as the devil. Mm. So she shuts the door, and then, like, I guess security went up, and his son later, like, said... It was our fault that we instigated him and then, like, told the hotel security that he wasn't on his medicine. Um, and there was no resolution after that. And we don't know where they went or if they left. That is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is fucking terrifying. <laughs> so, like, separate from the actual experience of the moment, um, I have to be honest, like those kinds of experiences definitely are formative in who I am as a person. Right. (laughs) And also who I am as a writer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And how I like approach other people and like that there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that will ever like make me forget that moment or forget the fact that like a mentally unstable person unmedicated can be dangerous and any time can be dangerous Mm -hmm. and basically like you just never know you just never know what you're gonna run into and i am definitely someone who is like big on i'm definitely spontaneous i'm a little bit impulsive um but i definitely like what weighs that evenly for me and really makes me like what i feel um has kept me alive and also like safe and responsible is my anxiety because for every ounce of me that's like let's just do it what's the worst that could happen there is like 1000 bullet points on the other side of my brain going these are all of the things that could happen you're like no 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 (laughs) and then I go like okay let me weigh the probability of like these 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 and these and then the ones that are left like uh, is it worth the risk and I I've 
I've come to do that very quickly now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I will never forget that. And I, I do really like to be prepared. And I also find it influences like how careful I am with strangers beyond just like regular, like you should be mindful of strangers, but the way that I choose to act or interact in a first encounter with someone, you know, like part of that's retail. I could never be a Karen because I've worked retail and I also don't have that entitlement problem. But part of it too, is just like never knowing um, who I'm talking to. Like I would never approach someone and assume no harm could come to me, especially if the things I'm going to approach them with are like accusatory and potentially verbally violent. Yeah. I always, if if I'm in a situation like that, I'm like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm non. I try to I try to like I... diffuse it as soon as possible. If there's any yes. problem with yes. like like food, or if I'm in a hotel and my room is weird, or uh, <laughs> I try to put on like the happiest face possible because I've learned in so many years of customer yep. service. Yep that people respond better to that <laughs> way better and also you just never know what you're gonna right. get like call me paranoid but like here's my story for why i am this way so yeah yeah <laughs> so that yeah that's that's my number four that just like event this and that stems everywhere into my life you know those experiences weren't just because I would say a lot of my event experiences like that happened in church environments so there's um there are definitely some stories that I could share that are not theater relevant that are definitely appropriate for like a different episode about like strange events that are particular to like extreme religiosity <laughs> that people who have never encountered that if I when if and when I share those things they're like are you kidding me yeah and that's an episode that like I probably will record with my sister because um she 100% was initiated into a cult um and so yeah <laughs> She was in a cult for two years, like a live away. She was in Georgia, was not really allowed to have contact with anyone cult. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. on a much more lighter <laughs> note, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's transition. There. So this is this is part five. Number well, my fifth thing. Yeah, number five. So um do you remember concept albums? When it comes, we'll we'll talk about this when we get to the playlist, because that's my second song, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, uh, concept albums, just entire albums based around like a story. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that was my whole thing, thinking about musicals. <laughs> I was like. So it's a play, but they're singing about it. Like, I never really got it <laughs> until um, my 18th birthday. My parents took me to see the producers, <laughs> which hilarious because they sat <laughs> next to me. And I'm like, there's a lot of sex in this show. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. <laughs> So, like, musicals are now such a huge, important part of my life because 
I never thought you could do that through storytelling through music. And there are like, like I saw Les Mis and I'm like, wow, this whole show is a musical <laughs> and they just tell this crazy story. And, um, that's where I like learned my love for wicked and Sweeney Todd and the ones <laughs> speaking of other awkward situations. Um, <laughs> this is the best. So part of being a theater major is you get to go see a lot of musical, or you get to go see a lot of plays. And since we're right outside DC, we get, we just go to like arena or Kennedy center or signature or just woolly mammoth or some like really good stuff. So my professor, my theater, the head of my department, he's like, you want to go see this musical? I was like, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> like, it's a show. It's fine. <laughs> my girlfriend at the time is going. I'll just, we'll just sit together. He, we are going to see Legally Blonde <laughs> at, the Ken- oh. at the Kennedy Center, which as a lane designer, I'm like, I want to see how they pull this off. <laughs> so it's 23 people are on this trip. Three of them are professors. No, two professors. It's me and 20 women. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And, and when they're handing out tickets, my <laughs> the person in charge gives me and my girlfriend at the time a ticket. And then he sits us next to my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> so, oh, so for about two hours, <laughs> I am staring straight forward <laughs> and watching a show where everything is pink and glitter and on fire and my eyes are exploding. <laughs> yep. And we've already established that now that this point in my life, I figured out my synesthesia. I'm like, oh God, it's going to be activated by stress and it's going to fuck with me <laughs> this entire show. I think yep. I sweated through two shirts. <laughs> Yikes. It was oh, no. amazingly awkward, but that's me. Like I'm amazingly awkward at everything. <laughs> but the real thing um, I wanted to talk about is an actual experience that makes me happy. And I mm-hmm. saw it this year before this whole COVID craziness. And every year we get six weeks off and I usually take a week and go to New York Mm-hmm. And I just hang out. I go to museums. I go to plays. I do everything. Like this year, I saw I saw Wicked at the Gershwin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like you've already seen Wicked. I'm like I know, but I didn't see it at the Gershwin. Like I didn't see where it started. <laughs> I saw it. Yeah, 
and it's way different oh. than when I saw it at the Hippodrome. It's way different. It's so I know good. it is so good, but the uh, play I or musical I saw was Dear Evan Hansen. Oh. I know, and I can't. It's so beautiful. I haven't even seen it. I just the music. I right, and if sixteen-year-old me had seen Dear Evan Hansen, like if had known about it holy shit i would have been a much more like less nervous person for (laughs) the first 25 years of my life because anxiety and depression and like just over stimulus of this whole show it's such a beautiful concept and it and i'm just like oh i finally get it (laughs) Like the whole the whole show, I cried, uh, especially. Oh, I don't doubt yeah. that at all. And and even more so, I'm mad because I can hit every note in that range. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a beautiful show. Oh, I just love it. So we're gonna go on the end of the good topic. And then we'll let you do your fifth. And then I will come back and explain why I hate theater. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. So my fifth is um, just pretty simple, actually. When I went to Towson, I went as a psych major. And then I took a theater for Mm non-majors class because an honors class um, because I needed something to take. And I like theater and I missed acting and, um, the class itself was a pretty good time. So it's a lot of non acting kids. Right. So most of what we did was improv, which was amazing. And some like short one acts and things like that. But the thing about it that was so transformative for me or like rescuing for me is this was the, the thing that like made me decide I didn't want to be a psych major anymore. Right. Because there was a lot of stuff that happened when I first went to school around, like, the psychology department. And it wasn't – not I don't want to say that it, like, wasn't what I expected. The classes were great. I did really well. I love psychology. I took AP Psychology with Miss Lehman. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's incredible and brilliant. And she made me love psychology so much. And I also just have a knack right. for it. So when I went to college and I was in, like – honor site classes and doing really well I wound up like in a situation where like I'd given an assignment I couldn't complete the assignment with the tools that I was given it was like a research observation project that basically um the data didn't support an argument at all and when I like presented that to my professor he was very dismissive of it he said just write the paper anyway Mm -hmm. So when I wrote the paper anyway, I was very clear that, like, my observations led to, like, basically invalid theory. And I used a lot of research to back it up, and he failed my paper. Wow. (laughs) And I'm pretty confident that a lot of that had to do with the fact that, like, he was trying to get a grant. Mm. And he was working on research. Got it. And I was so... At this time, like, like baffled mm-hmm. 
because the things that I was starting to learn about myself then, but didn't really come into like full understanding of myself until probably even the last five years are like, I'm a researcher at heart. So like the data is the data. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you have to follow the data no matter what, whether you're writing for fiction or you're writing for fun or you're writing or researching for science, like the data Mm -hmm. is important. And like, even when it's inconclusive, like knowing that is important because it allows you to readjust. What I can't stand is politics. Yeah. (laughs) And that kind of like, I, and especially then, you know, like I'm 19, I am just being like liberated from my four years of like extreme religious experience. I am, you know, starting to like see things differently and I'm on like a fucking mission. I'm like, I'm not going to rewrite this paper supporting your criteria. No. Right. I'm not doing that. And so I took a C on the paper ultimately. And I was fed up. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be in psychology anymore because I didn't want to like deal with that kind of like red tape. And it's the same for me as why like I wouldn't make a good teacher, not because I don't like teaching and not because I don't like students, but because like there's a lot of political involvement there that you have to follow a lot of rules that don't make a lot of sense. And I just don't do well with that. So I was at the same time in this theater class and I was having a great time, but also my professor was incredible and he was directing a play and we had to go see a bunch of plays for um, our grade. And I wound up seeing the marriage of Bette mm-hmm. and Boo, which is completely right. non-traditional. It is about a woman who like has multiple miscarriages and she just wants to have a baby and it's very like raw but the way, like, the way that it's raw, like, think, like, 1950s housewife. Right. So that the coping mechanisms are not what they are today. The acknowledgement of miscarriage is not what it is today, which is still minimal. You know, so those kinds of topics are, like, really challenging to be presented in this environment. So she's basically having mm. a breakdown on stage. But then so is everyone else. Right. Like, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> So I decided I didn't want to be a psych major mm-hmm. anymore. And then, you know, one theme that like stayed with me through this class that my professor kept saying, like every, every class he would say, like, act on your impulses, act on your impulses, act right. on your impulses, which for me is like really dangerous advice. <laughs> as we just, uh, discovered. But kind of like tying this back to what theater did for me in the first place was like kind of break that shell of like, oh, well, I can't be myself. I can't say what I think. I can't say what I like can't say what I've been through it's all weird right and like normalizing it and then being exposed to like such graphic and emotional content being normalized on a stage by college students and the underlying theme of like act on your impulses so obviously like I didn't take that to mean like always without regard for other people or how they might feel but it definitely it still sticks with me like to me that translated to like be honest like and not just like when somebody asks you a question tell the truth but like live in a way that you are being truthful to who you are as a person so I didn't finish a psych degree I also didn't change my major to theater either because ultimately like I don't think that what it takes to succeed there is what I wanted because there's politics there too there are like we were talking about (laughs) earlier so That was that was my number five, but also I think probably those politics and like that 
hesitancy for me to like go down that road probably plays into your <laughs> my reason why I don't do theater your reason why yeah. I, I love theater I love the art of it I love design I love musicals things of that nature um the reasons why I don't do theater anymore are very organizational mm-hmm. and politics mm-hmm. um I brought up University of Richmond. Freshmen, freshmen can't act on the main stage. Um, my, the apprenticeship, uh, I paid for acting classes at that theater. And then mm-hmm. all while doing my job there, working 40 hours a week, also taking classes. Mm-hmm. And then once the season got up and started, they're like, oh, you can't take classes anymore. I'm like, but I paid for them. They're like, yeah, but you need to be on here doing these portions. I'm like, well, if I had known that, I wouldn't have signed up for these acting classes. I wouldn't have paid another $400 for these acting classes. Um. And then I think about when I went back to Mary Washington for my job there, I was a master electrician. My old professors wouldn't help me get into grad school. Like they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't write me letters of recommendation. They didn't think I had enough experience. Uh, Yeah. So I was basically getting blackballed on like every angle. And if you want to get really personal, which is what I'm about to do. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever think about why I have an angst for certain things, and it comes to family and priorities and things like that, (laughs) I think you know what I'm about to bring up. Um, my three years at Mary Washington, I either acted in, designed, or designed, I think it was 23 plays, either on the main stage or the student stage. Uh, my family never came to say any of them. That's insane to me. Mm-hmm. In three years. <laughs> and... It wasn't just that. It was more of like in high school, like they would always go to all my brother's football games and they didn't come to anything that I was really proud of. (laughs) So after the job ended in May of 2010, I moved back here and I thought, for a year, there was another way I could get into grad school without any recommendations or anything. It was tough, and I just kind of gave up. And I was really soured on the whole experience mm-hmm. because of politics and the way people interact within the theater mm-hmm. community. I still love it. I'll still go see shows, but I will never do theater ever again. <laughs> um, it's just one of those things where when 
every internal and outside force is preventing you from doing something, you probably should just hang it up <laughs> as a passion. Even though I still love certain aspects of it. Yep. I still love creating. I still love design. But I just kind of refocus that into what I do now, which is cocktails and being a Psalm and running restaurants. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm really good at that. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those, once again, outside forces pushing you towards something you're destined for. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, that's why I don't do theater anymore. But <clears throat> that being said, I think we should talk about music. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. So do you want to go first on your number sure. two song? <clears throat> um so again, we're doing like the way that we came in contact with these songs or that they became important. My second one is the Paramore song on the list. But it's mm-hmm. not one of their like better known songs. No. Um, yeah, when I when I saw that, I was like, whoa, that's yeah. a very actually <laughs> I I don't even know how I came to listen to it in the first place, um, except that I was, uh, I wasn't (laughs) an internet pirate, but Hmm. if I maybe if you were, I probably would have found some like obscure music because that's what (laughs) I would have liked was um more than just what was like readily accessible. So anyway. Or you have a friend who is really good at it. I really, I really. Um, <laughs> listen, if we had had to pick more than five songs, I think that Circa Survive would have made it on my list. Ooh. But then, like, the conversation around it gets a little gray about where it came from. Because Yeah, I have an idea <laughs> where it come but from. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, maybe right. we'll have to add it because that that album still to this day is like if I'm in a mood, I got to turn it on. Right. But this this Paramore song is different than most of their other music, even their older stuff, but especially their newer stuff, because you have like Haley Williams vocals like always. But then you have like another male voice doing like a very emo part of this song that's very like aggressive and kind of screamy but the song itself is beautiful and um it really resonated with me the first time I heard it I probably listened to it on repeat like for three weeks when I first heard it because Uh this at the time so we talked about last week like I was just transitioning out of like this religious time in my life and um moving from my family and kind of that's the big one I think for this song is like I had really I'd moved out of living with my mom for a lot of reasons not just my age and I was living with like my boyfriend's parents basically at the time and they were allowing me to like stay in their home because I was trying to go to college and I was applying I'd only when I applied for college I only applied to one school because I knew I wanted to go to Towson and I knew that I could get in (laughs) And so I, I didn't did that really have, for Richmond. <laughs> I, and when I say that, people are like, wow, it must be nice to like, definitely know, like, 
I was like, well, it wasn't that, but like, I couldn't really afford application fees for five schools if I knew I wanted to go to Towson and I knew that I could really, the odds were in my favor to get in. Right. So, um, I was staying with them because my mom had moved to Delaware Mm. right at the time that I was like about to go to school and I couldn't afford out of state tuition. Yeah. I could barely afford in state tuition. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that transition of like, I felt really isolated. Right. And I, you know, I've had a lot of like tension throughout my entire life with my family, both my parents in varying Mm -hmm. degrees in varying seasons. And um, so like kind of leaving my mom was the right choice for me and good for me. But I was definitely frustrated because she had moved out of state and I needed to go to school and it didn't seem like it was important to her. And everything is catastrophic when you're 18. And also I was trying (laughs) to start a life for myself, you know, and I wanted to be able to have something for myself. And I also was leaving the church, which had its own, like there was grief involved with that, which we've talked about a lot, but there was also some serious like shame because when I decided that I didn't want it anymore, you know, all of the people who had loved me quote unconditionally and wanted to parent me in the absence of my father and wanted to like walk beside me in my life and imagine great things for me were suddenly telling me like how foolish I was and how like, mm, misled by the devil I was and how I must be living in such sin and I was the same person I had been like nothing had changed and then I was dating someone who like was not particularly socially accepted in my family and was not particularly socially accepted among like my church friends he was an atheist Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that was a big no but he was so (laughs) good to me that like this song, like there's such a contrast in like the vocals of this song that understanding like that contrast and seeing like me, this like, oh, poor little misled Christian girl and terrible atheist who was like ultimately at that point in my life, the most kind person that I knew. Right. Like all things considered how everyone who had loved me was like, it's off. weird how yeah. atheists can be kind to people. Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there, there was definitely something to like realizing again like I'm not alone in this experience of like what seems complete opposite like really creating a harmony and to me that was like a symbolism because the song sounds like that to me like it wouldn't sound like oh I would never think to put this kind of music together but it was very effective and very emotional and also just kind of encouraging so that's that so I brought up the idea of concept albums earlier when we were talking about musicals right so let's take that a step further what about a concept band okay (laughs) so my second song is coheed and cambria the growing so once again we talk about destiny and fate and things like that and when I first heard Coheed and Cambria, I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? That first album, like, I really like it, but at the same time, you keep hearing the same r- random names throughout the songs. You're like, wait, why is that here? That was right. in that other song. And then you find out, like, oh, this is a concept band. Yep. This album is a concept. And then come, like, throughout their whole career, eight their first eight albums from second stage turbine blade all the way to like 
Year of the Black Rainbow is it an entire story yep. <laughs> being told. Sci-fi drama on like huge proportions. And then they do this, like the last album they did is a, not the most current album, but the one before that, they were like, let's just do a pop album. And they do like this pop rock album that has nothing to do with anything else. Yep. Yeah. So I chose... I chose the crowing, not only because of certain tattoos on my body, but also uh, the crowing is one of the most important parts of the story to me. It's when the main character learns that he is going to be the savior of the humans. Well, yeah. And he's told by an angel named Amelina well, angel-like creature. She's like a fairy. Um, that he is the savior. And at this point in the story, he's like 17, which when I heard the song, I was 17. Correct. <laughs> and it's one of those things of, yeah, you're going to defeat these two factions and you're going to save the entire universe. And also um, everything's going to be fine and you're going to save your girlfriend. And you're like, and he's like, but why <laughs> am I this person? <laughs> it's very, it's very like this kid growing up reading a bunch of sci-fi, but also in a Catholic household. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Like, oh, just being told I'm the savior of the entire human race. Got it. Cool. Um, all right. Where do I start? Yep. <laughs> and it's, it's like every time I listen to it, I get goosebumps and I tear up a bit at the main point in the song. It's like, dear Ambelina, the prize wishes you to watch over me because he's like, okay, I guess I'm going to do this. I hate it, but um, can I have some guidance? <laughs> like, a little bit, please? <laughs> but it's always the parable of, like, Jesus praying <laughs> to God, or, like, yeah. And it's it's one of those things that just, it's a very important part of my life. Yep. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're almost at two hours. Holy moly. <laughs> I know it's crazy. That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot, but I mean, I think we covered a lot. I know. I'm happy. <laughs> I um, I will connect with you about this over the week too. But I, like I said, so I'm gonna trailer next week's idea a little bit. My plan is, my sister and I went um, a little a little uh, adventurous yesterday. There's a church near me that has been standing for a long time. And then a couple of weeks ago, Tyler and I drove by it and he said, that church is going to fall down soon. Like, I hope somebody documents it. I should stop and take pictures, which I think that he did. We do a lot of photography together. And um, then we drove by. You? No. no. We <laughs> drove by again and it had completely, like the front had fallen off forward. And it's leaning and you can see there's still like a piano and pews inside, but it hasn't, nobody's been there for years and years and years. And so like the other day I took my sister yesterday to see it cause she hadn't seen it. And we went mm -hmm. inside 
Yeah. And there's a whole big story to that. And I really, I want her to tell that with me. And then Mm -hmm. kind of the point of that for me is also, we found some other really cool buildings that we want to do research on. Um, And so how that incorporates into like all of this is, you know, what's the story of this place? And she mentioned something that really struck with me, which was, you know, nobody's coming back here. Like it's been empty for years, like potentially since the nineties from what we can tell. And it's, now the weather is going to take it and the papers that are inside and the other things that are inside are going to be lost forever. And mm-hmm. um, it's sad, but it's also it cool and just interesting. So we want to talk about that and like maybe a couple other experiences that I have had in um, abandoned places. And that really plays into like a lot of what my writing focuses on. And a lot of, I think what this podcast is like geared toward is like, who we are but then like who our environment is and how they connect to each other and how history gets lost like that and things like that so if you have stories like that that you want to contribute we would love to have you sure um i have um i have an idea (laughs) so we can plan that we'll probably um still aim for monday because that is the best day even though this week is wednesday and right (laughs) i think i'm probably going to use the picture of that church for I might use it for the picture of this episode so people can kind of get a teaser for it, but it was pretty interesting. Um, so that's the plan. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, this has been a great almost two hours. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> As always. <laughs> Thank As you for always. being here, and I will talk to you soon. Yes, of course. We'll oh. talk next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh...